but it immediately left me paralyzed on my left side. Quite an adjustment. The one thing it didn't take from me was my hunting. It's a challenge, but it just goes to show that, you know, if it's something you really want and my outdoors is something I really want, nothing can stop you, man. Hey everybody and welcome back to Project DIY Hunter Podcast. I'm here with one of my good friends, Charles. How are you doing today, Charles? Doing well, man. Doing great. That's good. That's good. We also have a special guest today, Mr. Randy O'Neill, one of my longtime friends and you know, someone I look up to like a father. But we'll go into all that later. How you doing today, Randy? I'm doing good. I hope you guys are. Yeah, we're all doing good. We're all doing good. So the reason we have you on this podcast today is we want to talk about how you started doing what you do. Randy is a successful DIY hunter. He hunts a lot on private land here in South Carolina, and he does do some public land, but not as much now. But uh, he's got more deer on his wall than I do on mine, for sure. We're, we're always in a competition. But uh, I guess let's just go into what got you going in hunting. Was it your, your father, your grandpa? What, what was your initial? How Who brought you into hunting altogether in the beginning? It was my dad. My dad introduced me to the outdoors back before I was even big enough to fall out of a boat. He introduced me to hunting, deer hunting specifically, when I was about 14 years old. I learned a lot from him, a lot of what to do and a lot of what not to do as well. Uh, he was a great mentor, a great teacher. Uh, and then I guess I was about 16 years old when he gave my first shotgun for Christmas, which was a Remington 1100. Is that the one you still use today or? It is when I use a shotgun, but in Virginia, where I grew up hunting at, um, it was shotgun only. Now that we're in South Carolina, where I can use a rifle, I've kind of retired the shotgun. I've reblued it and put it away just as memory sake until I need it. Yeah, no, that's uh, definitely one thing you need to do. Here's a fun fact. Uh, Randy actually gave me a muzzle loader for Christmas one year. It's the only gun I think I've actually got that had sentimental value, so <laughs> I don't think I'll ever get rid of that gun. I wish I'd gave you something nicer. <laughs> that was the one I'd already wore out. <laughs> it ain't over yet. There's still a chance for you to you to come back in, and give me something else. But uh, so where all did you hunt at when you was in Virginia? So I grew up in Norfolk, Virginia, where there's obviously no nowhere to hunt. It's all concrete and steel. So we we started hunting in the West Point, Virginia region, King of Queen County, New Kent County specifically. Um, which is about a two-hour drive. So my hunting career began with getting up at 1 o'clock in the morning to get ready to make a two-hour drive to be in the woods before the sun come up. That's where I learned how to drink coffee, too. <laughs> yeah, well, you're an expert at that. <laughs> I am that. <laughs> so how long have you been hunting in South Carolina? I moved to South Carolina in 2001. I didn't hunt the first year that I was here because I had nowhere to hunt. And I guess it was about 2002 that I acquired a very prime piece of private property um that's been amazing for me it has produced a lot of trophy deer in addition it has produced a lot of meat because we are meat hunters as well that's right now you are you're a diabetic which uh that's all you eat is venison correct it is as far as red meats go um yes i am a diabetic I was diagnosed with diabetes at 35 years old. And when I took the diabetes self-management classes at the Life Center here in Greenville, 
They told me I could have six ounces of beef a week. I said, you don't know me. <laughs> I couldn't even stop at six ounces on one steak. <laughs> yeah, you're so, right. That's, that's a really good filet. When I inquired about venison, they said there's no no restrictions. Eat it every day if you want to, three times a day. Really? Wow. That's so cool. I said, yeah, it teaches you a lot about the beef industry for sure. Yeah, no, that's, that's a topic that I don't want to go into. <laughs> definitely some health benefits and, and wild game. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I know you, uh, I've been over there and you definitely come up with some unique ways to cook it. But for, for those that don't know, Randy also got his wife, Sonia, into hunting and she is a phenomenal hunter herself, which we might have her on here one day if we can get her to, to stop for a little while. So I guess we're going to jump into your accident. Well, I, I can't really say accident, your health issue. Fast forward 30 some odd years from where I started hunting, and that is my wife I hear. Um, so on August the 17th of 2019, I had what most people would identify as a stroke. But really what it was is something called an AVM. It's where in the second trimester of pregnancy in my mother's womb, as the arteries and veins and all were starting to develop, and the connections were starting to be made between my brain and my outer limbs. The artery and the veins got tangled up together. And what happened to me was the artery got choked completely out and it exploded. Shifted my brain. So, of course, there was an aneurysm, a major bleed. But it immediately left me paralyzed on my left side. Um, but again, it was a birth defect. It could have hit me at any point. It could have hit me when I was eight. It could have let me go my whole life and never have a problem. But it got me, and it's been going on two years now. Quite an quite an adjustment. The one thing it didn't take from me was my hunting. I came out of the hospital on October the 9th of 2019, and in November I harvested a 160-pound doe, and then this year I harvested an eight-pointer. Uh, keeping in mind that I'm shooting a 30 out six with one arm, so I got to position myself on a golf cart where I have a prop stick to hold my gun up because my left arm don't hold it up. But it didn't take the wind out of my sails. I'm still in the woods. And, you know, I thank God every day that I'm able to be there. It's a challenge, but it just goes to show that, you know, if it's something you really want and my outdoors is something I really want, nothing can stop you, man. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's definitely, it's definitely a hard story, but you've definitely overcome and you still overcome every day. Um, how do you think, I guess, how has it changed the way you look at hunting now? Before, it was more, you loved it, and it was, you know, it was your passion, but what is it now? It's still my passion. I still love it. It's just, it's a little bit more work on me, my wife, anybody that goes hunting with us, because, you know, I'm in a wheelchair. And we started off last year learning how to hunt with this disability. Uh, my wife would try to roll me out in the woods in a wheelchair, that don't work, especially after a good rain. So I took my four-wheeler and I traded it for a golf cart because being paralyzed on the left side, I couldn't shift gears with my left foot. So I needed something I could maneuver with the right leg and the right arm. And that turned out to be a golf cart. But as far as what has changed for me, it's just, it's changed my ability to hunt. You know, where you go out in the woods, like, you know, I would have before the accident and I have basically a, a 180 degree field of fire i now have about a five degree field of fire i can only shoot what's in front of me so i gotta be very strategic in the way i place myself in the woods because again i'm hunting from a golf cart 
So now it's not just me camouflaging myself, it's camouflaging my vehicle. But like I said, one deer last year, one deer this year. Um, a lot of deer, I mean, I get busted a lot more than I used to. So I, I watch a lot of deer blow at me and run. I see a lot of flags, a lot more than I'm used to seeing. But outside of that, I've always been a ground hunter. So it's not like I can't get up in a deer stand anymore because I never really cared about a deer stand. I've always been a ground hunter and I'm proud of myself and that I've been very successful at it. Yeah. I'm, I'm the complete opposite. I'm, I'm not a ground hunter and I wish, I wish I was cause it's definitely going to help us when, you know, when we go out West hunting from the ground, it's a, it's a totally different animal. I mean, I know you well enough and I, I know where you hunt at and I've been there hundreds of times, but how do you, I guess, find new spots? Do you lean on your wife and your friends to tell you where to go or do you uh, go to the same spot and just, you know, trout or true honey hole um basically what i do is i drive her to her stand or at least halfway to her stand and then i back out of the woods and i've been hunting this particular piece of property since 02 so i know it like the back of my hand but i don't know it as good as i thought i did because when you get down there with a golf cart and start trying to figure out how you can hide yourself from the deer you start learning that the land's different you look at the land a whole lot different than you used to. Uh, you know, there was a time I could just lay down beside a log and be camouflaged. Now I'm basically standing out in the middle of the field trying to be camouflaged because when you're trying to hide a vehicle, it makes it hard. But scouting, I don't get to do the way I used to. So I'm thankful that I know the land the way I do because if I had to get out there and do some scouting right now, I'd be at a, I'd be at a standstill. I'd be calling you, Kenny. Yeah, well, I mean, come, come pattern these deer for me. Tell me what. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I do that, I'm gonna go hunt with you. <laughs> I guess that's that's the one thing that being a disabled hunter does is I get to lean on everybody else to do the the hard work. <laughs> well, I'm sure people don't mind helping you either. I mean, they don't. Uh, Randy's actually the one that taught me my skill set that I use every day now. Which, with me being in construction, he uh, he taught me how to you know use woodworking tools and do do craftsmanship uh so i'm grateful for that he's one hell of a carpenter back in his day and unfortunately now you know he can't do it but he, i'm sure he can still whittle with the one hand he's got i'm like um, a good supervisor yeah <laughs> <laughs> you've been that your whole life so I don't, I don't know anything about that that's actually what charles is so um what advice would you give other people who think they can't do it you know what i mean there's people out there who oh i'm not i'm I'm not healthy enough to do this. I can't do this. Never give up. If you want something bad enough, you'll, you'll, you'll work hard to get it. And don't get me wrong. There's not a day in my life that goes by anymore that I don't feel like it would be easier just to lay down and go back to sleep. Just don't even face this day. But, you know, if, if you've got God in your heart, you got God in your life, and you know that it's by the grace of God that you're here. I mean, just to give you an idea of what happened to me, 7% of the people that have an ABM make it to the hospital. Out of that 7%, another 7% survive. So I beat a lot of odds. Yeah, well, you've always been a fighter. You know, being in, re being in, in rehab and, uh, you know, seeing the condition that some other people were in, you know, I could have been much worse. You know, my cognitive skills are sharp. Speech therapy, they tried and tried and tried and tried and tried to get me to fail a cognitive test so that they could build my insurance company for their services. But 
my brain's intact. I mean, I still remember phone numbers from my childhood. I remember the day you went in the hospital after you had your brain surgery. I went in the, I went in the hospital to see you, and uh, I was, other than Sonia and the kids, I was the only one that went back. I don't remember you coming to see me. You really don't? I was no. in there for a while. But I did. I had two, two brain surgeries back-to-back, one on the 18th and one on the 19th. Um, I mean, there's so many reasons I shouldn't be here. There's so many reasons I shouldn't be out there in the woods, but I am. I am here and I am out in the woods. And, you know, my hope as I move through this and, you know, continue to have successes as a a hunter with a disability is that I can shed a a little bit of hope to some other hunters out there that that I have, I have on Facebook through some of the groups that I'm members of shared my story with some people that, you know, came back and said, man, I needed to hear that. And, you know, I hope, I hope that I could do that for the rest of my life. Just to hear one person, just to hear one person say, man, you changed my life. You changed my outlook. I needed to hear that. Maybe that's why God kept me here. I don't know. Yeah, well, you're definitely an inspiration to me and, you know, to a bunch of other people just in our immediate circle. So, yeah, we we appreciate you more than I think you'll you'll ever know. Let's go into Charles. Yeah, I'd like to uh, I'd like to jump in and see, you know, can you tell us that story about that uh, eight point you killed this year and, and how you did it and how you kind of set up and, and kind of how that went down? Absolutely. So I went back to a spot that I had been hunting for about the last five or six years. And I was almost to the point of giving up on this location because from the day the season opened until the day I got this deer, I hunted in the exact same spot every single time I went. And every deer that came out saw me first. And it was just persistence, man. I just kept pushing through and pushing through and pushing through. You know, I'll let it be known, we don't use any bait. We don't put out any corn. We don't cut shooting lanes. We don't cut trails. I'm a diehard believer in hunting the deer in its natural environment. I don't believe the old story that if you cut the trail, they will walk it. I disagree with that. If you cut the trail, you will disturb their woods. So I don't cut the trail. But what I do, Charles, is I'll find me a location that I, I feel good about, a location that over the years I've seen a lot of deer movement. And I'll pull in forward and I'll sit there. And if I don't like it, I'll back out find another angle. And sometimes I'll drive all the way around where I want to hunt just so I can back into it. And then once I get into my stand, you know, I, I move twigs and stuff around it that I can reach with one arm and I just sit still. Uh, I, I used to keep my gun propped down beside me on a golf cart and then raise it up when I saw a deer. But I kept getting busted doing that because for me to raise a gun is a lot more movement than it is for right. you to raise a gun. So I started I started this season just keeping my gun propped up on my shooting stick. The whole time I'm hunting, if it's an hour or three hours, my gun stays propped up the whole time. So when a deer does come out, I don't have to do so much movement. And this deer just messed up. He made that, that grave mistake of walking out in front of my gun. And of course, as soon as I shot him, he was belly up, so... I knew he was down and I got, I got to get my wife and the buddy that I was hunting with at the time to go drag him for me. <laughs> you should have you tied him to the back of the golf cart. That's something else that I would love to say I missed, but I don't really miss dragging deer. <laughs> I enjoy watching. Oh, trust me. I've drug enough of them for you. <laughs> so that's kind of how, you know, how I do that. I just trial and error, man. 
two or three times of getting busted and you start learning from your mistakes. Right. Yeah. So have you ever thought about um, going out West and hunting? I have. I've always dreamed of going out West and going hunting. Actually, one of my dream hunts is to go hunting on a Ted Nugent ranch. Who wouldn't dream of that? A good hunt with Ted Nugent. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, it's not necessarily a, uh, uh, public land hunt, but I would love to do that too. <laughs> yeah. He's got an amazing ranch down there. Oh, uh, but yeah, I've considered going out West, you know, right now, right now, my considerations for, for travel is a lot less than what it used right. to be. Well, I know, um, see, so I was in Wyoming last year and my dad tore his ligament in his knee while we were out there. And so we actually got him a permit where he could actually shoot from the truck, you know, um, disability permit. So there's options out there for people that, that, you know, can't get out and walk around and, and move miles a day and stuff. You know, there's options for, for people like that. Um, so I think it might be cool to maybe look into and in the future. Don't think I won't take you out there. I will take you out there and let you shoot one out the window. Well, we will discuss that. But if I go, I don't want to shoot it out the window. No, I'll push you up on top of the hill. I'll, I'll, hold, I'll hold off on shooting it out the window until I have to. And that day may come for me. I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, nobody knows what tomorrow holds. Well, I guess I can drive a golf cart and i drive you up on top of a little hill unless <laughs> you shoot. Getting back to what you were saying, Charles, you are correct. There's, there's a lot of equipment out there. And for anybody that hears this podcast that might be disabled and that doesn't know where to look, just start doing a standard Google search for adaptive sports equipments whether it's fishing hunting boating it doesn't matter it's called adaptive sporting and it's where they make things to help you adapt to right. fishing hunting and if you got a lot of money and a good sponsor they make wheelchairs that are on tracks so they'll go anywhere what is your uh what would your dream animal be out west man you know, me being a, a diehard whitetail hunter my entire life that's a tough question because I've never truly considered that. It would either be a muley or an elk. Yeah, mule deer are definitely, definitely up there on our list. <laughs> Me and Charles is going in October, which everybody listening knows already. But what could we do to, I guess, help you make the out west trip? Not give up on me. Because I want to take you. I mean, I mean, it's it's definitely is. It's a thing, you know what I mean? Yeah, and you know, just just so you know why I'm, I'm hesitant to answer that question, I don't travel well right now. Um, because of my leg being paralyzed, when I'm riding in a vehicle, I have no control over my legs, so and my leg just flops over dead. And by the time I get from here to Greenville, which is about 15 miles up the road, I'm already hurting. And then the options for somebody with my disability to fly. Wheelchairs don't work on airplanes, so they're not allowed on there. So if you're in a wheelchair and you want to take a flight or a train ride, they got to lift you up in there with a special lift they've got to help you get onto the airplane. But then once you're on the airplane, you're stuck in your seat. God forbid you have to use a restroom because there's no accommodations for that either. The only accommodations that the airlines offer for somebody that's got a disability that can't get up and just walk to the bathroom is they suggest wearing diapers. And I'm not ready for that yet. Yeah, no, I wouldn't be ready for that either. If we go out there, we're definitely going to drive, so it's something we're going to have to 
you know, look look to in the next couple of years, you're, uh, you're going to have to make it happen, though, for sure. Absolutely. In the next couple of years, I, I could see that. But And I also, you know, I'd love to take Sonya out there. I'm sure she'd, she'd enjoy it, too. You've been trying to take my wife from me ever since I met you, boy. Well, that's never going to stop, either. <laughs> <laughs> you're about to have a wife of your own here. I am. Uh, sometime, whenever all this COVID stuff it's kind of yeah. threw a wrinkle in it for sure. We uh, we had a date scheduled and a venue booked, and COVID started, so we canceled it off. We didn't know, you know, what was going to happen. So you know, now we're here, just kind of in limbo, waiting, waiting to see if you know when we're going to pull the trigger again. So, Randy, you uh, you wrote an article one time that got published in uh, South Carolina Magazine. Would you uh, can you give us a I guess the overview of the article and what it was about. Absolutely. I was hunting from the ground, sitting on a little stool. And on this particular hunt, I had a buddy of mine, Ken, and my Brad with me. And we were spaced out in strategic locations. Well, where Ken was sitting at, Ken had a view of what he called a really nice buck that was out of his range, but headed in my direction. So, needless to say, when, when one of your buddies contacts you and tells you to be on the lookout for a big buck, regardless of how attentive you've been on this hunt, all of a sudden your antennas just come out and you're totally in tune. And while I was sitting there expecting this deer to come out from my right, I heard movement over to my left. I turned my head to the left, and when I did, there was a really nice eight-pointer for a South Carolina deer. He was a, a, a big eight that was walking right out in front of me. And I'm hunting with a 30 out six bolt action at the time. And when this deer gets broadside in front of me, and I'm going to say probably 20 yards, I got a perfect broadside shot and I'll squeeze a trigger. And when that 30 out six roared, that deer just cut his head around and looked at me. And he just stood there and looked at me. And I was like, how did this happen? How did I miss this deer at 20 yards? And it was really, really cold that morning. So as he was huffing and puffing, I could see the steam coming out of his nose like a mad bull. And all of a sudden, this deer turns right at me, drops his head to the ground, and starts charging me. Well, I had not even I had not even ejected the round that I had fired. So all I could do was dive out of the way. So I dove over to the right, and he ran past me. And if you think about a bull with a matador, you know, the bull runs past him and then turns around and comes back. That's exactly what this deer was trying to do. After he passed me, he stopped about 10 yards behind me, and I spun and still didn't have another round in the chamber. Um, and he was just standing there staring at me, huffing and puffing, and all that steam coming out of his nose, and I'm trying to think, what's my next move? How do I get out of this predicament? And all of a sudden, he just falls over dead. So I guess because I was so close to him with the first shot, the bullet went through so fast, he didn't even know he'd been hit. So it was a scary moment for me, but at that point in time, I had, I had been doing some blogging and I put that hunt up on my blog and I was contacted by the South Carolina Sportsman magazine and they requested to, to do the article in their magazine, which of course I didn't deny them that privilege. So that made it to the magazine. So I was proud of that. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a cool story. Um, Randy has tons of stories uh, that we're going to get into on, on later episodes. It's going to be more of a 
you know, just hunch with Randy's what we're going to call it, I guess. But uh, on this episode, we really just wanted to get, you know, his story out and give, you know, give a little bio. So when he does come on the, on the, on the show later, you kind of have a backstory on, you know, him and how he hunts now and, you know, the stuff that's happened to him and got, you know, that got him in a situation that he's currently in and he's, you know, overcoming every time he goes. So I just want to say thanks, you know, Randy for coming out and, you know, telling us your story on the podcast and I can't wait to you, you know, come back for future episodes. Well, thank you guys for having me on the podcast. Yeah. And it was, it was good to meet you. You know, it's, um, it's not every day you get to meet somebody that, that has the courage, you know, to keep going and, and hunting and, you know, a lot of people give up, you know, and, and sometimes I give up, sometimes I don't go and, you know, there's nothing wrong with me. You know, I, I can, I can move and, and, and do, um, with, with, with no problem. And so, so yeah, man, I'm pumped to hear some more stories, um, later on. So, so y'all come back and, and listen to some more stories from, from Randy. Uh, I'll be a, a good time. Yeah. Everybody have a good night and y'all, uh, y'all be careful out of there. God bless.